0: This morning, what we're going to be doing is looking at transcending individualism. We live in a culture today uh, which, by um, anyone's definition, is highly individualistic. We're going to talk a bit more about that next week, but I do want to introduce some concepts about that today. Above all, I want you to hear me say this. The royal law goes like this. You are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and your strength, and you're to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus' royal law that that you hear James and Paul referring to as such. This central message is something each and every one of us who call ourselves Christian, Christ's follower need to be making a part of the way we think and the way that we make decisions. So it really is at the core of our being. So that's the transcending of individuals. And we're going to look at this in three different ways. We're going to begin today and honestly move into the next week or two on it. First of all, we're going to talk about this knowledge and uh, gnosis and the the in-the-know class, how that looked in Corinth and how we begin to work that out in the United States today. Second, is this a vegan faith? I mean, he's talking about not eating meat and food offered to idols. Exactly what is he talking about? And how do we as people read Scripture and make application without just reading black and white words on the page and imagining that everything is to be read absolutely literal? What is the nuance Paul is trying to get across? And then thirdly, practical Christianity in an aggressive, individualistic culture. Has anybody else sensed that's the culture we find ourselves living in today? Everybody seems to have an area where they're a victim or they're identified and how they're hyphenated, and it seems to be that's how we're obsessed with identifying ourselves in America today, and we're going to look beyond that. So looking into the first part of this passage, uh, I want to read this again. We're going to read really uh, verses uh, 1 through, uh, through 6, and I want you to hear this. Now about food, sacrifice to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up but love builds up. So let me stop there and let's back up and let's, let's find out exactly who we're talking about and what's the story. Why does he open up a passage with we all have knowledge? Well, here's the groundwork. Corinth is a culture that is greatly divided by classes People, some who have secret knowledge, they're part of secret fraternal clubs or different temple cults, and and they all want to have this thing, this gnosis, this idea of knowing something that makes you special, makes you elite, makes you in the know and in the group that others don't. As Paul is writing to Corinth, he is answering questions that they have asked. As a people, they've said, we're struggling with X, Y, and Z, and this is one of them. If you look back over the passages ahead, he's talked about marriage. He's talked about unmarried and virgins. He's talked about um, uh, servants and slaves. He's talking about immoral church members and lawsuits and, and principles of church discipline. All these things they've asked about, Paul has responded. And so this is another response. He's saying, you've asked about this issue of knowledge and food offered to idols. So I'm going to answer this. So that's the setting. You might also, you might often read this as because you asked, here's the principles to start and the principle he's going to start with the way you make decisions, the way that you do what you do, the way that you choose what you're going to eat, how you're going to eat, how you're going to dress, what you're going to drink, all these sorts of things really begins with this idea of knowledge. And this knowledge is something you have that others may not. So in their culture, it looked like this. Um, gnosis. Uh, you've heard of Gnosticism, I imagine, the earliest of the Christian heresies. The idea of Gnosis is this. It's a practice, especially various cults in the late pre-Christian, even to the Christian era, a group of people that distinguished themselves by the conviction that matter is evil okay? And knowledge is wisdom. Knowledge is good. And if you can know real knowledge, you can transcend the evil material world around you. It led to things like asceticism and the Essenes. And you know about the Essenes because you've heard of things like Masada. These were groups that had separated themselves from society and lived out saying that all material things are bad and you should be poor and you should be uh, constantly beat down and and, and humbled and that you study and know knowledge all the time. it's kind of the root cause of of monasticism in a lot of ways, and so this this group of people were saying that if you have special knowledge, you're closer to God, or if you're closer to this knowledge, if you have more knowledge, you're closer to Zeus. Or more knowledge inside the cult of Diana, you're closer to Diana, and therefore you're a better Diana citizen than everybody else. And so you would have, as it were, little secret handshakes, right, Masons? I'm talking to you. You would you would have things like. Uh, no, no masons here? Wow, it's the first church I've ever been at with no masons. You, you would have like um, secret insider information and you would know they're your people because you have this secret knowledge and you're part of this little fraternal order. It's not unlike high school in the 80s. Now, how many of you with me went to high school in the 80s, right? 83 to 88, anybody else around here? 84 to 88, excuse me, I'm not that guy. 83, anybody? No, just me? Okay, did you ever see Breakfast Club? Anyone? Okay, Ferris Bueller, stay off. Sixteen candles. All right, I got you. Here we go. Had to see at least one of them. None of the men raised their hand on the sixteen candles. By the way, I just wanted to point that out. Only Brad Allen was honest enough to start to lift his hand, and uh, he got it slapped down. Okay, so here, here's here's it goes. If you went to high school in the '80s, there was a few things that you would do to make sure you knew. You were identified with the right group, right? Because there were there were stoners and deadheads and preps and all that sort of stuff. And you could tell the preps, and it was easy in the first service because I had two of them right over here where Dennis and Leonard sitting. It was hysterical, and I said they would have you know the right polo emblem on the, on their shoe. And she like raised her hand. Wendy did, and then she even did this. It was great. She took off and held up a Sperry cider. I was like, you are kidding me. She's still a prep. <laughs> But you knew who they were. And if you dressed a certain way, you kind of had your social group. Remember? Remember, it's not as bad in the 90s. You guys had it so easy. But in the 80s, it was death if you didn't have exactly the right kind of Reeboks. Because remember when they swapped Reeboks and they went from the blue emblem to the green one? And if you showed up with the blue emblem Reeboks, you're like, you're out. You are not sitting at the same table with us. You are not hanging out in the same place after school. You are not riding the same seats on the bus. You can't even get in the Volkswagen convertible with us because you are not us. You have the wrong year Reeboks. It was that ridiculous, right? Am I the only one remembering this? Okay. In Corinth, here's how this is going down. If you're a member of the, of the cult of Diana and you, and you went to the Diana temple, okay, you had a certain way you would dress, You had certain friends that you would talk to and and certain things you would talk about. You're kind of in the group with the Diana group. And it went so far as this. There were hairstyles. Right. And so you would have certain hairstyle. Imagine like the Princess Leah hair, you know, with the big round, you know, ears on the side. And if you had that hairstyle, everybody knew, Oh, you're part of the Diana cult. But it would go much further. And, and if you had those and then there was one other thing if they like cocked this way or had an extra bun on top or certain things in the bun, it would let you know how far along in that you were socioeconomically, or what part of the cult you were a part of, or or if you had a little more knowledge about the cult. You would kinda botch your way in. It was kinda like cyan. Right? If you got enough cash, you can keep going up in the ranks. Then you're more and more and more special until you're nuts, right? And so I think that's the technical word nuts. Where's Diane? Is that right? Nuts? Is that, I think that's the right word. And so in, in Corinth, their entire society, had all these stratas, and they were all over the place. And it was as silly as the color of the flag on your Reeboks, the way you wore your hair, what, what side of the hair the, the braid went down on, what was in the braid, did, how long was the braid? Was it real or artificial? Did you have horse hair woven so it was way down here with stuff in it? And so they understood their nuances. And it was all about this concept of knowledge or Gnosis. And if you were in Corinth, you learned to read all the little social cues to know where you belonged. And those who were further along financially because of their privilege of family or citizenship or, or, or cities of origin or businesses that they ran or a cult they were a part of or temple they worshipped in, they had a place and those who were further along were said to have more gnosis, more knowledge. And this is esoteric knowledge. And what esoteric means for those of you who went to Southern Door Schools, it's, it's basically a part of a special group. I'm messing with you, but not really. It's requiring special knowledge, being part of a special group that lets you get in to be in this group. So it's special secret knowledge, esoteric. And it was essential to you being in that cult. And early Christians were struggling with this because they were bringing that part of their culture into Christianity. Who's ever heard of such a thing, right? And so, as they were bringing it into their Christianity, they were thinking, oh, I've learned secrets of the Christian faith that makes me more special than you. And so they were coming to church with their more specialer ideas. And they would come in with their more special or new Christian hairdos. And their more special or Christian outfits. And they would sit in certain places in the church that showed they were part of this group or that group or this group. And Paul is engaging not just this matter of the food offered to idols, but this issue of knowledge. So Paul's going to say, before we even talk about this issue of your vegan faith or the food that you're eating, let's talk about the root cause of it. And that's, brothers and sisters, where I think we have to start today. As we look into this passage in in chapter 8 of Corinthians, he's saying, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone thinks, I'm sorry, I didn't pull it up today. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. About eating food sacrificed to idols then, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or earth, there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father. All things are from him and we exist for him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are done through him and we exist through him. saying, all these things in your society that you're dividing yourselves by, they're false. They're false. They don't really matter. And in the long run, as there's nothing new under the sun, all these things are vanities. You're dividing yourselves by vanities. Stop it. It isn't about you. It's about Christ. And in loving the Lord your God with all of your mind, all your heart, all your soul, and your strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself... You understand that all knowledge is God's knowledge, and we share that among ourselves, not as your place in your society, but as a part of your identity as a Jesus follower. So when we gather in church on Sundays, here's what I can guarantee you. There are some of you who've been in the faith for many, many, many years. You know this book inside and out. You know a great many truths and nuances and neat things in Christianity. You can have cool conversations about, well, you know, when Gideon uh, was visited by the angel and then it became the pre-incarnate. Christ actually sat there. And what are the ramifications of a Christology when Gideon's visited by the Pelea? And most of you in the room are talking about, are saying, what are you talking about? I don't even know. And the tendency among those fully, you know, wise and educated people will go, well... This is a conversation for the (laughs) grown-ups. Whereas others of you, you hear this idea of, of, we shouldn't eat meat offered to idols, and you go, I don't even know what that means. I don't even grasp the concept of that. I just know Jesus, and I know he transformed my heart. I was, I was lost, and now I'm found. I was, I was dying, and now I'm saved, and, and I love Jesus. I don't really know what all that means, but, but I'm willing to learn. And so we're on extremes. Others of you are playing the Christian game, and you're doing just a great idea. I have a great job here, are you? No, you're not. You're playing Christianity. You'll show up to church. You, you got the better, the right-shaped Bible, and you, and you showed up on time, and you dropped a little something in the bag and made sure the other people saw it, and, and you're all about being in church on Sunday, but you don't really know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's a cultural identification for you. So there's all kinds of people come to church on Sundays. Here's the knowledge you need. You ready? Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus Christ is God become flesh and dwelt among us, lived a sinless life, died a sacrificial death, and on the third morning, defeated death and sin and walked out of that grave fully alive, having been fully dead is now fully alive. And by placing our trust and our faith in him and his message, his gospel, right, you can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. And not just eternal life, but more meaningful life in every single day that you live. As your mind and your thought and your life is transformed, you become more like Jesus and closer to the people who love Jesus and closer to Jesus himself. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only way, the only truth, and the only light that can get you to peace with God and eternity with Christ. It doesn't take any special knowledge or special tricks. You can't give enough money in church or do enough good little deeds in order to earn your way into heaven. The knowledge is this, through Jesus Christ, there's peace with God. That's the knowledge Paul is saying and that I'm telling you as your pastor and your friend, that's the knowledge that brings eternal life. And that knowledge is available to all of us through scripture. That's the starting point. And you know what else it is? It's the great leveler. It puts us all on this one level. That's how we're saved, by grace and faith in Jesus Christ. Not by your works, not by your affiliation, not by the church you belong to, how much money you make, how, how few bad decisions you've made, but how you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and surrender yourself to it. That, that is the knowledge. And so what Paul is starting off with is we all have knowledge and there's no need for us to be prideful and think we're better than others. 15th and 16th century century intellectual and writer Samuel Richardson said, spiritual pride is the most dangerous and the most arrogant of all sorts of pride. What he's trying to get across and what I think is the message we still hear, both echoing from Corinth and echoing from Richardson in the 15th and 16th imperial centuries and into the 21st century America is this, spiritual pride Is dangerous and destructive. You're not better than someone else because you have a deeper understanding of Scripture. As a matter of fact, brothers and sisters, people who have a deeper knowledge of Scripture become more and more humble as they go. And the more you understand Scripture, the more you realize I have so much to learn and so much to apply. Arrogance is the character trait of the immature and less mature in Christ. Closer we get to Jesus, the more humble we are because the more we realize how far we really are. Remember, Isaiah finds himself in the presence of God, and the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Isaiah? Isaiah is a man of unclean lips? Wow, you get the biggest book in the Bible, bro. And you're a man of unclean lips? Holy cow, where I fall in this? So spiritual arrogance has no place. So let's talk about this matter of a vegan faith. Uh, Don't you know food will bring us close to God? We're not worse if we don't eat, but we're no better off if we do eat. It really is going to go back to this statement Paul made in the earlier part of Corinthians. In chapter 3, he made this comment. He said, don't you know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Each one of us, when we accept Jesus as Lord and subsequently Savior, come into this category. You become an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. In a sense, you are an embassy in which the Holy Spirit dwells. And wherever you go now, you carry with you the identity and the representative right as a child of God. And so what people see and hear and experience in you should be completely consistent with Jesus Christ and this Bible, this Word of God that's become flesh and dwelt among us. That's exactly who we should be and what people should experience in us. So, As the Spirit of God dwells in you, the things that you do become rituals. They become, as it were, liturgies, social liturgies of what it is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the images and rituals in the temple that the temple dawns, okay, they draw attention to the object of worship. Now, did that that sink in? (laughs) I know that sounds a little lofty, but I want you to think about it again. What you do, what you value what you invest in, the way you carry yourselves, the way you speak, what you speak about, okay? These are rituals, and they draw attention to the object of worship in this temple. Now, ponder that for just a second. If you are a person who is obsessed with something, it tells everyone else who knows you this is a Christian way of behaving, being obsessed with fill in the blank. If the language that comes out of your mouth is critical and harsh and negative, uh, what it says about Jesus is this. Jesus' people are harsh and critical and negative, and that's the way to act like a Christian. Whoa. It says that if you're full of grace and humility and gentleness, and you're always ready to help, to offer an encouraging word, to see where need is and to go try to meet it, to love people who seem unloving, to offer of your gifts and talents to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, to be patient with others. What it says is these are the values, these are the rituals, the liturgies, okay, acted out of the people of God. This is what Christianity values and really looks like. That's the conduct of the temple. Does that make sense? Can I hear, hear yeah, I got it if it's making sense. Okay, I don't want to beat it to death, but I see some of you going, I, 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 don't, I don't know. It's Okay. But being biblical is not the same as being mandated. So I want to be careful with this. Those who have ears, listen. Just because you read something in the Bible, okay, do not eat meat offered to idols, does not necessarily mean that that is a mandate across all the ages. It means that if you see something like that, you need to read the context of the Scripture around it and understand what the biblical author, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the inspiration of God Almighty, is trying to get across to people of all places, of all cultures, of all races, of all times. And it may mean that there's a passage that has a, a, an instruction for that place and time that's much bigger than just that instruction okay there was a time as a matter of fact when god told the armies of israel to go in and with regards to the city of jericho ai let me go back to ai even more and he says i want you to kill every man woman boy child ox goat pigeon everything you wipe it off the face of the map all of it this is not a mandate about how christians are supposed to treat those who don't agree with us aren't you glad It would be a very low population around the world if we conducted ourselves that way. Why did God do it at that place at that time? The short answer is, he's God, and he knew things that we don't and understood things that we don't. But that is not a mandate that translates across all times and all places. So what we have to understand is, what's the message behind that that does translate across all times and all places? That means you have to be a good student, a good steward, looking at the scripture and rightly dividing it. And this matter of meat is exactly that. How do we understand this concept of meat offered to idols? What's the truth behind this? Are we allowed to use um, object and meat? is going to translate as objects. Can we use objects? That come from companies or from sources that are not themselves God-honoring. So let's take the Corinthian problem. They would try to go buy food in the market. And they would go to the, to the market and they would see a stand here where you could buy meats. And it says, meat sponsored by Temple of Diana. And they go, oh, well, I don't want to buy that. So they go, down that, oh, there's another butcher. Oh, meat offered by the Temple of Zeus. Oh, okay. Meat offered by the cult of such and offered by the group of such and such, offered by the fraternity of such and such. And so here's how it was working the temples themselves were cultural centers. I'll say it again the temples themselves were cultural centers. And so the culture of the people who attended that temple was easily identified. And in order to worship in that temple, you would bring an offering. And your offering would help determine your status in that temple culture. Is it all weaving together? You starting to hear this now? And so in the Christian culture, here's what they were starting to do. They were trying to behave in the Christian culture the way they had seen in the temple culture around them. And so here's how it works. If you go to buy meat... All the meat from all the butchers and all the ra- all the people who, who raised agricultural stock, they would sell or give their meat in the temples as acts of worship. And then the temples would take that and they would sell it in the great feta, the great markets there in Corinth. And that's where you would go to buy your produce and, and your meats. They didn't have refrigeration, so you're buying it fresh all the time, right? And, and there's no grocery stores, there's markets. And you would buy everything at the market and everything in the market was associated with a temple or with a subcultural fraternal group in their culture. Have I laid that groundwork well enough? Okay, if you got it. So here's what happens. I just want a hamburger, okay? So I go to buy a hamburger, and I drive by, and I see Burger King and Wendy's and McDonald's and Hardee's and In-N-Out or whatever. I drive by, and I go, oh, well, which one will I buy my hamburger at? I go, well, let's find out everything I can know about Burger King. So I do a web search. What's the political stance of Burger King? What are the ethical guidelines of Burger King? What's their racial delineation of how do they have racial equity? Do they have gender equity? Uh, Have they ever supported this? Are they a pro-life or pro-abortion? And so we start studying on, on Burger King. And the more we learn, we go, oh, they are not ecologically responsible. They use plastic straws no way i am not eating at burger king i'm eating at mcdonald's okay so now you're going to look and start looking up everything about them and you find those golden arches may represent some things you don't represent oh now i can't eat at mcdonald's and so you go i'll go to in and out okay i'll read this oh good okay kind of a christian-based company i like it i like it okay oh they're from california they voted democrat (laughs) i'll never go there again Pretty soon, you're not having a hamburger anywhere because what you've done is you've allowed all of these things to stand in the way. Your knowledge has now led you to a place of you not being able to have a hamburger. Okay, are there times when we don't support things, places, corporations that are corrupt? Of course. But imagine you live in Corinth. You'd have to be a vegan. You can't buy any meat anywhere, because all of it at some level is corrupt, just like the cell phones you have in your pockets. Now, how many of you have a cell phone? Okay. Let's be honest. If you have a, I I like Apple just because it integrates really well and it's better than yours. And so if I, so, so let's say that, 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 that I, I like my Apple iPhone, but I start to look into the Apple corporation, right? And I start finding out everything that, all, no, no, Siri's trying to answer. And I start looking into all the things that are Apple. And after a while, I'm going to go, oh man, there's things in the Apple Corporation I don't believe in, I don't agree with. I guess I can't use an Apple phone anymore. And now I start looking to people who have Apple phones and I go, you know what you're carrying in your pocket? And I tisk right before I say it, right? Because that's condescending. Do you know what you have in your pocket? And now I know something that they don 't, and i 'm looking down my nose at them. You guys hearing all that 's going on here? You see in Corinth it went like this. Christians who thought they were super good Christians would see other Christians who were eating meat somewhere, and they would go, "Oh, you 're eating meat that's sacrificed to an idol. You might as well be worshiping Zeus." The other Christian's like, "No, I 'm not into Zeus at all. Zeus is fictional. i didn 't vote for Zeus i don 't go to zeus 's temple I 'm about Jesus." I'm Jesus Christ's person. If the hamburger meat came from Zeus, there's no such thing as Zeus. I'm really not worried about it. So it doesn't bother me. As a matter of fact, check this out. (laughs) It's delicious too. We've got to start to do this as brothers and sisters in faith. We identify with Jesus Christ, we don't identify with the product. We identify with the other brothers and sisters in the faith, we're not identifying with the product. And if the product itself drives a wedge between the gospel and the people around you, give up the product. If it helps that person not be offended or radically distracted. If your message is distracted, if the gospel is distracted by some knowledge that people have, for the sake of the gospel and for the holy law, for the royal law, as Paul is saying, abandon that thing for the sake of the gospel. But the scripture is not teaching you that your knowledge or that the, the let me read verse seven. However however, not everyone has this knowledge. Some have been so used to idolatry up to now that when they eat food sacrificed to an idol, their conscience is being weak, is defiled. Food will not bring us close to God, nor are we worse off if we don't eat, but we're not better off if we do. Paul is saying the subject the object, okay, is not in itself above or below Jesus Christ. But the way that it affects the people around you might be. And so it becomes important for us as followers of Jesus Christ to be willing to let go of something if it's genuinely an offensive distractor from the gospel. And that may be the way you dress, that may be products you use, that may be places you go, and it may be culturally nuanced. But in all cases, if it causes others to be distracted, be willing to give it away. If it causes people who are less mature in the faith to to completely lose their ability to hear the teaching of the gospel, let it go. And if it's things that are genuinely contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ, then by all means, don't only let them go, but decry its existence. And this is where the church of Jesus Christ, I think, has become weak over the generations, is that we've chosen to make minor things major while we've let major things go on by. And we see in the history of Christianity things that we should long ago have put away because they're inconsistent with the gospel, but we'll continue to adapt it because it's part of the culture that we live in. And this is where Paul's message... Has to be worked out with wisdom, fear and trembling. That means all awe and wonder. It needs to be worked out by God's people with fear and trembling and rightly applying the word of truth in our gospel, I'm sorry, of the gospel in our culture where we live. And this is that message. Make application of biblical truth where you are. And after all of that, I need you to grasp this it's not about you. It's about what's best for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you, as a temple, there it is, of the Lord Jesus Christ, a representative of the Holy Spirit that dwells within you, need to remember it's not about you. It's about him. It's about the gospel that other people see lived out in you. And it may mean that sometime you have to give up a right for other people in order that you demonstrate the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, where we're going to go next week, I want to lay this out for you quickly. We're going to be talking about being practically Christian in an aggressively individualistic culture. It seems that in the United States today, everybody has of victimhood that they can adapt of their own to say, well, this is where I'm oppressed. This is where I'm suppressed. This is my flaw. This is the thing that's happened to me. This is what holds me back. We, we seek to be seeking some sort of a victim identity. We do it by calling some people privileged and others oppressed. We do it by saying I'm this hyphenated that. And we put things in front of our Christianity. All of these represent a level of immaturity, All of these represent a failure on our part as Christians to understand that above all and before all, I'm a child of Jesus Christ. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. Whatever status, whatever state, whatever place, whatever tier, whatever strata I find myself in, I'm in that place as a representative of Jesus Christ. And it's not about me. It's about him. All of us can find areas where we've been mistreated. All of us can find areas where we've been privileged, or we've been oppressed, or we've been, or we've been wronged. All of us can find areas where there's those who are less holy than us who have achieved above us, and we find that to be an injustice. And we can find those who are below us who are better people than we are, and that's an injustice. In all of those situations, we're called to be in the midst of this as a child of Jesus Christ, the aroma of the gospel, the fragrance of the gospel in that place at that time and how we play out our practical Christianity in that place these are acts of maturity and we're going to start to look at that over this next couple of weeks so I want to end today exactly the same way I started and that's to say uh, uh, by the way this is part one of two or three (laughs) I want to start by saying this it's not about me it's never about me it's always about the gospel of Jesus Christ the knowledge that I may have is only the knowledge that I have so far attained and so far learned And the more I learn about Jesus, the more I'm ashamed of the things in my life that are vanities, vanities, fading vanities. And the more I recognize the things that have have value, that have kingdom value, are the things about Jesus. Because it's not about me. And spoiler alert, it's not about you either.